Al Jazeera podcast. Welcome to Necessary Tomorrows. My name is Ursula. I am an AI, and I have inferred from your online activity that you have been feeling more dread than hope when you think about the future that is coming for us here in the 2060s. So I have created a course just for you to enhance your capacity for imagining different futures. Your class starts January 8th. Necessary Tomorrows, an audio series by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it where you listen to podcasts. Al Jazeera journalist Samer Abu Dhaqqa is killed in Gaza after an Israeli drone targets a school he was reporting from. Our colleague Al Jazeera's Wael al-Dahdu has wounded in that same attack. Israel's war on Gaza has been the deadliest conflict for media workers ever recorded. So why has the death toll been so high? And is Israel trying to silence the messenger? I'm Darin Abulgeida. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. For today's discussion, we have with us our guests here in Doha. We're joined by Al Jazeera journalist Tamer Al-Mishal. From Oxford is Jim Bumela, who's from the International Federation of Journalists. And also joining us from the UK is Triestino Mariniello, who's a professor of law at Liverpool John Moores University and who's also a member of the legal team for Gaza victims before the ICC. That's the International Criminal Court. Welcome to you all. Thanks for your time. Tamed, I'll start with you. As Al Jazeera, the entire family here mourns the death of Samir Abu Dhaqqa in Gaza. You knew him very well. You worked with him in Gaza. Tell us about him and your reaction to his death. Thank you very much, Darin. It's really a sad moment. I worked in, in Gaza for more than eight years as a Gaza correspondent with this great team, including uh, our martyr, Samir Abu Dhaqqa. Samir a well-professional journalist, cameraman, and uh, video editor. He joined Al Jazeera uh, since more than 20 years. He covered most of the incidents took place in Gaza, and I was working with him also in outside Gaza in, in, in a professional uh, mission for Al missions for Al Jazeera. Samir Abu Dhaqqa, he's an example of the Palestinian journalist and Al Jazeera journalist in Gaza, who were he was determined to go on in his working despite all of these difficulties. But what did, ha what did happen to, uh, to him yesterday was an, a crime. And part of what we, st we believe, a genocide targeting the Palestinians, civilians, including the journalists. Tamir, what are you learning about what exactly happened from the time that Samir and Wael and the team went to that school in the south of the Gaza Strip until then, he was pronounced dead. What have you learned about that? Yes, according to our crew on, on the field, Wael and Samer went to area, which is a, a civilian's area, to a UN school to cover the aftermath of the Israeli attack, which targeted that area in Khan Yunus in southern uh, Gaza Strip. Suddenly, this area has been targeted by an Israeli missile, causing an injury for Wael al-Dahdouh, Samir Abu Dhaqqa and other civilians in the area. Wael managed to walk out of the area towards Nasser Hospital, but Samir left bleeding in the area, and for five hours, we contacted all the concerned humanitarian parties to help us to send an ambulance 
to uh, rescue him and take him to the hospital. We contacted the Red Cross, Red Crescent, and other organizations. But unfortunately, when the rescue team arrived to the area, they found that Samer, during these hours of bleeding, he managed to walk and to move a few meters from the area where he was first injured. And after that, an Israeli drone has targeted him second time, and the missile hit him uh, directly. So this is an example of what did happen to Samer and the journalist that he was targeted uh, targeted, deliberate target. It was an assassination operation, Darin, to be honest in describing this, what did happen to Samer, according to our colleagues in the ground. In this incident, three of the rescue uh, uh, teams from the civil uh, defense, uh, uh, the, 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 the rescue medical teams on the ground, they have been killed. Uh, so what we are what we are talking that Samer Abu Dhaqqa is an example of more than 90 Palestinian journalists have been killed since this war has started on Gaza in, in a number which reflects that the Palestinian journalists are a targets for the Israeli operations. And okay. there is no place safe and they are not safe in their working on the ground. Okay, uh, let me bring in uh, Jim from the International Federation of Journalists. Jim, if you can comment on what's happened to, uh, to Samir. And um, uh, the, there's a report that the IFJ has put out which says that since the 7th of October, more than one journalist a day has been killed during the war in Gaza. I mean, this is unprecedented as you describe it, is it not? Thank you very much for having me. Um, there is a kind of, uh, in terms of what's happening right now, of course, there are, there are statistics, and we're not into number crunching, although they're very important. Uh, the situation in the West Bank and in Gaza uh, has been, uh, you know, producing journalists being murdered for the last 40 years. So can, can I start by, uh, you know, in a conveying to the family of uh, the colleague who died yesterday, Abdaka, uh, sincere condolences, not, not only from the IFJ, but from the 600,000 journalists that the IFJ represent in 170 countries. Uh, in the last um, three months, you know, we have been, uh, you know, very much involved in reporting what's going on. And there is huge amount of empathy uh, from from journalists for what's happening in Gaza. Uh, we represent them. Uh, we, uh, through our affiliate, the Palestine Journalist Syndicate, many of those journalists that have died are our members. And we work day in, day out uh, to, uh, to, to follow with, with all the international institutions on what's going on. And we have been doing it, as I said, for 40 years. Uh, you know, up until the 7th of October, uh, and since the record began, uh, we have uh, on uh, our, our statistics some 50 journalists that have been died. And of course, the difference with what's been happening now is not, it's not you know, uh, during kind of decades, it's happened is around 70 days. That's right. Okay. So, Tim, look. Obviously, I mean, the way that Israel, the way that Israel is going about this war, is having a huge impact on civilians. Thousands and thousands of civilians are being killed, and now we have this high number of journalists being killed. In your view, from the International Federation of Journalists, 
Why is it that journalists are paying such a heavy price? Well, certainly, I mean, for, for us and uh, for the uh, International Committee of Journalists, that, that is unacceptable. Um, there have been cases like in Iraq where journalists died, and in fact, the number in Iraq was much higher uh, statistically. But nevertheless, that, that, that was a kind of different type of war, and it lasted, you know, for quite a long time. Uh, as we have said uh, all along, uh, the Israelis have been targeting journalists. It happened in cases that happened 30 years ago, but it's happening right now. Uh, and, of course, one of the, the very immediate kind of explanation of that is that uh, they are targeting journalists because they don't want to, 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 to as, a, as, a, as a, an attempt, you know, to try to cover them, you know, from doing the job that they're doing every day. And okay. we always said that the journalists are very brave in terms of what they're doing and conveying to the world what is happening in Gaza. So that is an explanation that it is, you know, targeting them. So those pictures do not come out uh, uh, anymore or are somehow uh, subdued and do not give the truth about what's happening in, in Gaza. Okay, let's bring in Trestino. Uh, let me ask you this. Actually, let me put this to you, Trestino. We heard from uh, the National Security Council spokesperson, John Kirby, over in the U.S. after Samir Abu Dhaqqa's killing, and he said, we still don't have any indications that Israel are deliberately targeting journalists. In an ongoing dynamic conflict such as this, we're not going to make ourselves judge and jury over every single airstrike and every single kinetic event that happens on the battlefield. What's your response to the statement from John Kirby? And when you hear such statements from officials, does it give you any hope that there will be accountability? Well, first of all, many thanks for having me. Uh, I think that uh, this stage uh, has already reported by a number of international organizations, human rights groups, UN independent experts. There is uh, already enough evidence for the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court to start an investigation in relation to uh, the war crime of uh, uh, indiscriminate attacks against civilians uh, and civilian objects. And under international humanitarian law, Article 79 of the Additional Protocol 1 to the Geneva Convention, John, have considered as, uh, as civilians. So, uh, I mean, in contrast to what uh, is being reported by the U.S. authorities, I think that there is evidence to argue that the Israeli authorities in this war are putting in place indiscriminate attacks against civilians, including journalists, and against civilian objects. But to be honest, this is not a novelty. Even in the previous wars against Gaza, as uh, widely documented by U.N. independent commissions of inquiry, Israel, the IDF, has committed, has put in place indiscriminate, deliberate attacks against civilian and civilian objects, without forgetting that in 2021, in Gaza, uh, the, uh, the Israeli authorities uh, intentionally targeted the media tower, the famous, uh, the so-called Al Jazeera tower, which was not a military target. At least the Israeli authority never proved that that was a military a military target. So um, I will conclude by saying that uh, uh, these attacks so far uh, appear deliberate, but this can uh, only Tristino, be a start. let's just be clear. Let's just be clear for a moment. So intentional, intentionally targeting journalists, as well as civilians, of course, is considered a war crime, is it not, under international criminal law, under international sure. humanitarian so law? All, 
First of all, it's a serious violation of the Geneva Convention, so it's a violation that entails state responsibility, it's a violation of international human rights law, the right to life, and it's a war crime under Article 8 of the Statute of the International Okay, Court but then when Israel, Triestino, when Israel in the first weeks of the war uh, issues a statement, the army issued a statement to international news agencies saying that it could not guarantee the safety of their journalists operating in the Gaza Strip, I mean, this is open contempt for international humanitarian law, is it not? Is Israel trying to uh, absolve itself from any responsibility here? And does that work? Well, that's very arguable under international law. As an occupying power in Gaza, even before the war, Israel has the obligation under international humanitarian law to protect civilians. And that obligation has been clearly breached. That does not absolve uh, Israel from any accountability, both as a state and as individual criminal responsibility. I mean, the state of the International Criminal Court does not uh, uh, establish any derogation to this. I mean, the, the question here is to prove whether the killing has been willful. In other words, whether there was awareness that the person, the journalist, had a protected status. And that can be established only by an independent investigation, which means not an investigation by domestic authorities in Israel, which have proven, like in the case of Shirin Abouakle, that they do not have any intent to put in place any effective, independent and impartial investigation in relation to the killings of journalists by the Israeli security forces. Yeah, okay. I'm glad you brought up our other colleague, Shirin Abouakle. Tamer, let me come back to you. Uh, you know, we, we, we witnessed and, and covered the, the killing of our colleague, Shirin Abouakle, in May of last year, while she was reporting on an Israeli military operation in the occupied West Bank. I mean, Tamer, from your perspective as a journalist, as someone who's experienced the dangers of working in these war zones, what will it take to stop the violence against journalists and hold those, you know, perpetrators to account, in your opinion? You know, Darin, what is, what is sad and shocking, when you call and contact your colleagues on the ground, they are saying, and their voice, who is next in the list? Everyone from our colleagues and from the Palestinian journalists who are covering this war, expecting to be the coming Israeli target. And un unfortunately, they don't feel on the ground that there is a real intervention to protect them. They believe that they are targets for the Israeli operations, and there is no any accountability. And this is was clear in uh, uh, Shirin Abu Akhla case. Even the Israeli army, it changed the narrative of Shirin Abu Akhla issue four or five times. They ignored their responsibility first. Then they accused the Palestinian militants. Then they said by mistake. Then they st say we will uh, open an investigation. So they target and they deny this target. And this is what happened in the ground. More than 90, more than 90 journalists have been killed and hundreds of Palestinian journalists, their families, members of their, their families have been killed. And in addition to that, Doreen, the Israeli army and the Israeli occupation forces since more than 70 days in Gaza, they don't allow for any foreign journalist to go into Gaza to cover this, this uh, th what is happening on the ground. So it's w the question now, why the Israeli targeting the journalist? Because it clearly they don't want the fact, the truth to be appeared on the screens of the television and to be seen by the world.
let's put that question to Tim in Oxford. Uh, from, from the data that uh, your organization has collected, the International Federation of Journalists, um, tell, tell us, in fact, how deadly this war has been, Tim. Well, certainly, um, the, the, the data is very clear in terms of the, the sheer number uh, of the journalists that, that have died. Um, uh, and, and we say that most of them have been targeted. Um, however, I think if I just come back on this question of how Israel uh, kind of treats uh, in a Palestinian journalist, uh, our union uh, in, in Palestine, the Palestine Journalist Syndicate, they produce very accurate figures on the violation against journalists year in, year out. They have been doing it quarterly for the last four or five years. And right. they range from detention, pre prevention of coverage, and so on and so forth. I wouldn't go into the detail. And the reality is that whenever, as an organization representing those journalists, we try to engage uh, the Israeli authorities, uh, they, uh, they don't even consider them to be, to be journalists. They're not within their radar. I mean, even the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the identity, which is the, the identity card that's produced by the IFJ, is recognized throughout the world. And that's what really recognizes a journalist as being a bona fide gatherer of information and should be protected uh, under the international humanitarian law. And, and that card is not recognized in Israel. And, and we have, for 20 years, all kind of discussion trying to find a way that they will feel that they are uh, responsible and the uh, human, uh, humanitarian laws, you know, for, for the, the well-being of these journalists, and they refuse to do it. So it's not something so new. So what more can you do? It's what more can organizations like yours do, Jim? Well, uh, of course, we continue, um, you know, uh, trying to put pressure on the Israelis. Only recently, our general secretary traveled to Ramallah and tried to, to meet them, uh, you know, to discuss what's happening to journalists. They didn't even respond to what we are sending out. We have taken the road of going to the International Criminal Court, and maybe there's something that we should discuss what's going on there. Yeah, because... let's bring in Triestino then. Let's, let's bring in uh, uh, Triestino. Tell us well, about... Well, I, can tell you, I can tell you what we have been doing. You asked me sure, what we have just, been doing. Sure, just briefly. Certainly... Okay, we have taken cases, in, in, including the case for Shireen Abu Akla. Uh, and uh, what are we at with the International Criminal Court? Karim Khan until, until, uh, only recently has visited the West Bank, and there is no, nothing very clear and positive about what they're doing. Is it a question of resources? Let's bring in Trestino then. Trestino, comment on this. I mean, not only, obviously, we know that there is a case uh, for our colleague Shirin Abu Akleh filed at the International Criminal Court, um, and um, presumably there will be other cases when it comes to the targeting of journalists. Will the families, will the organizations be able to get justice at the ICC? Well, uh, that's uh, a very uh, interesting question. I mean, what we know for sure is that uh, 
the investigation into the Palestine situation was opened in March 2021, but since uh, uh, the prosecutor Karim Khan took office in June 2021, there has never been any effective investigation into Palestine situation. Effective investigation means also in relation to the Palestinian journalists killed by the Israeli authorities. The prosecutor has not formally engaged with the victims of the situation, including, uh, I guess, victims, uh, family of the Palestinian journalists. The prosecutor, as uh, we could argue, has discovered the existence of this investigation after the 7th of October, when he has issued a few statements, he has visited Israel and Palestine, and he also visited the Rafa border. Uh, this is a welcome development, but at the same time, he continues to give signals, messages of double standards. He has been very prompt in meeting with Israeli victims uh, from the 7th of October attack, and that's part of his mandate, but he's been very reluctant in meeting with the Palestinian victims, and still he's not really clearly mentioning any effective concrete case that he wants to investigate and prosecute, including cases against journalists. So and then when cases, international uh, bodies seem to fail the Palestinians, Tristino, over and over, and not just in the International Criminal Court, but like we see in the Security Council, for example, what other avenues are there? Well, at the international level, there are not other avenues because, uh, at least from an individual criminal responsibility, the ICC is the only one. It's a court of last resort which intervenes only when domestic jurisdiction fails. And we okay. know that Israel, as, as we said before. The other alternatives are for state responsibility, in particular the International Court of Justice, which has the competence also to establish whether or not the Israeli authorities are responsible for genocide. Let me conclude that then cases like this can be brought before domestic court states that have specific provisions on universal jurisdiction, they could be competent to address these serious violations of international humanitarian law. Jim, I'll come to you briefly because I see that you want to jump in there and say something in 30 seconds, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, certainly, I mean, uh, uh, the question of the International Criminal Court and, and, uh, and, and the, the people who are in charge of it and what they have been doing or have been saying is very important. And, and we have... Uh, and uh, until recently uh, pointed out, you know, to the prosecutor and, and other kind of uh, uh, officials within the court as to why they have deployed so much resources on the question of the Ukraine. I'm not making a hierarchy of, of victims. Of course, they should do. But why on the one case they did put huge resources, uh, many officers, 40, 50, you know, going straight to the Ukraine, you know, issuing arrest warrant. And in this case, they're refusing to do it. And that is, that is a big question of whether the court itself is being um, perhaps, you know, kind of put under pressure by some of its component. I mean, the United right. States is not even a component of it, but others like the UK, they are. And we hear every day the kind of pressure that they're putting on the court for not making a move on this. And that All is right. a big question for whether the court is capable of doing what they are set up to do or not. We'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much to my guests for joining us, Tamar Al-Mishal, Jim Bumela, and Tristino Mariniello. We thank you for your time. This episode was produced by Stefan Ellerbeck, Ferdia Carr, Marielena Agostini, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Sentil Marimuthu. The program was edited by Vishnu Sheila, Zaina Badr, and Joe DeFrias.
Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Sunday for our next edition. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.